Thank you for listening to the podcast of Bible Baptist Church. Please visit our website at www.southbaybbc.org for more information. We're here in the second week of our series taking a look at the spiritual gifts. Last week we took a look at verses 1 through verses number 5. And uh, I believe that that's very important. Uh, Sometimes when you're familiar with your Bibles, you know some of the verses. And you'll know Romans chapter 12, verse number 1 and 2. If you're there in your Bibles, you can read them with me. It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. It's a great verse, a great challenge to us as believers to simply put our trust in the Lord, to follow the Lord, to allow Him to transform us and to work within our hearts so that we might be used of the Lord. It's great verses, but... The chapter continues, obviously, past verse number 2 and verse 3, 4, and 5, leading ultimately to the area that we're discussing today, which is the spiritual gift. So laying down this foundation of trusting that every believer that is here has yielded themselves over to the Lord, that you have committed yourself to reading the Word of God and that you have committed yourself in obedience to the Word. And however the Holy Spirit works in your heart, that you would follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. And doing so then, God is able to freely use the gifts that he has given to us. And to be able to use those gifts through every believer. And we're going to take a look at two of them. But before we get there, I do want to make a note uh, regarding spiritual gifts. Uh, There are other passages in the Bible uh, dealing with spiritual gifts. And uh, if you've uh, uh, met somebody who's talked about some spiritual gifts like tongues and healings and things like that. And you might hear about some people online and, you know, they have these big ministries doing certain things of these, you know, uh, miracles and uh, they have the gift of healing and things like that. Well, there are some gifts that were there in the Bible in the early days, but those days of uh, what we might call sign gifts, things like speaking in tongues, things like healings, uh, those sorts of uh, kinds of uh, gifts that were given to the apostles in the early days, and, and in the case of tongues, to believers there in the early days, those days have passed, right? Those gifts are no more. Those gifts were there given to the early church. Those, uh, if you want to think of it, that church was full of baby believers, those believers needed something and they needed some help and God gave them a special help in those days, but God was ultimately leading the church away from those because those are things that maybe a, a child might need, but a grown a, adult a Christian mature believer will no longer need. In fact, Jesus kind of, uh, in, in a way, kind of alluded to this, maybe not directly, but ultimately giving us the end goal. Jesus says, uh, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples. Do you know what he said next? Did he say, oh, when you speak in tongues, this is how everybody will know that you are my disciples. Or when you go out and you begin to heal some people, is that how people will know that we are the disciples of Christ? That's not what it says. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples when ye have love one to another. Uh, In the the book of 
uh, 1 Corinthians chapter number 13, Paul is talking about love and he says, you can have all faith and you can have all of these things and great ability to preach and prophesy, but if you don't have love, you are nothing. And the emphasis was on love. And, and so there's a number of gifts that were given to the early church. And, and you could see that those gifts were being de-emphasized over time throughout the book of Acts at the very beginning on, on, on Sunday nights. We're preaching through the book of Acts. And in the early days, there's uh, a lot of miracles, a lot of tongues, and a lot of healings, and a lot of uh, great things. But at the very end of the book, you see that there's, there's this movement away from those things. In fact, the very last verse of the book describes Paul his ministry and it says preaching the kingdom of god and teaching those things which concern the lord jesus christ so the emphasis was moved towards the scriptures towards the preaching towards the fellowship and love that believers have one to another so i wanted to address that just in case there were some questions if you have some questions about that uh, about well i know somebody and they go to a church and they say that they speak in tongues or different things like that of course i'd love to be able to talk with you but for the sake of the message we'll leave it here and just talk about the gifts that are listed here uh, we might call these gifts the gifts that persist the, gifts that have remained beyond those early days. So we're going to take a look at just two of them. The first of which is the gift of prophecy, and the second that we'll take a look at is the gift of teaching. Now that's not the order that was given here, but I, I hope that it'll make sense why I'm kind of putting these two together in the same message. So uh, let's take a look first of all at this gift of prophecy, the gift of declarative prophecy. So to many, the idea of prophecy, when you hear the word prophecy, is to tell the future, right? Somebody who says, oh, I'm a prophet, I can tell the future. Uh, that's the idea that many people have, but if you go back to the basics, the word prophecy simply means to declare. Somebody who is proclaiming something. So a prophet wouldn't necessarily predict the future. They would simply make a declaration of time. If you go back to the Old Testament, you would have the prophets in the Old Testament. Sometimes the prophets would tell what would happen in the future. We think about somebody like Daniel. Daniel was given the word by God and there was a prophecy of the future. But many times the prophets wouldn't predict the future. They would simply declare the word of God. They would simply say, thus saith the Lord. This is what God said and tell them what God said. So there's two ideas of prophets or prophecy. One is uh, we might call it forth telling. Some people describe it that way as telling the future uh, or foretelling, which is telling the future and forth telling, which is simply saying what needs to be said. And so this idea of the gift of prophecy, when we're looking at it here today, is not the gift of telling the future, all right? As wonderful as that might be to be able to know what the stock market will do in the future, to be able to know what the economy will do, to be able to know all of these things, that's not what this gift is. This gift is the gift of declaration, of declaring something. So we're going to take a look at this, beginning, first of all, with the authority of the prophet. So the prophet is one who declares something, and he says it in a way that says, this is right, 
this is true, or this is what we need to do, to change, there is a prophet that will declare these things. Now, how does this prophet know what to say, and how does he know that he has the authority to even say it? 2 Peter chapter 1, verse number 20 gives us a great clue to this. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So this passage, of course, deals with the scriptures. And when we're talking about scriptural prophecy, we're dealing with, okay, the gift of prophecy is declaring the word of God. The gift of prophecy is not necessarily the most eloquent person in the room. The gift of prophecy is not about somebody who's able to necessarily frame the words just perfectly and just rightly so that everybody goes, wow, what a great speaker. I'm sure that we've all heard people that were great speakers, whether here in the church or, you know, outside, whether you're, you know, uh, listening to somebody on the internet. Wow, what a great speaker, great uh, person who's able to inspire people and, and you might have heard people like that. But when we're talking about the gift of prophecy, we're dealing with prophesying the word of God. The prophet does not give his own message, his own ideas, or his own philosophy. They simply relay the word of God. That's what the prophet does. The Old Testament, I referenced earlier, the prophets would often use the phrase, thus saith the Lord. This is not my idea. These are the very words of God. That's the idea of the prophet. And the church needs prophets, amen? The church needs prophets in the church, in, if we're going to use it that way. Somebody who has the gift of prophecy, we might not call them a prophet, but somebody who has the gift of prophecy to simply within the church to continue to declare, thus saith the Lord. You might have a conversation with some people and, and you're beginning to just talk about different things and different ideas and, and uh, this and that. And you need somebody to say, but this is what the Bible says. This guy over here has an idea over there and this person over here has some sort of philosophy. But within the church, we need somebody to say, okay, there's a lot of ideas out there, a lot of opinions and a lot of philosophies, but what does the Bible say? And be able to declare that in a conversation, to be able to declare that maybe in a class or even here from the pulpit, to be able to declare this is the word of God. So the gift of prophecy, it does not deal with he's going to have some sort of special new prophecy, some new words. No, no, no. We're not getting new words here. We're going back to the words that are inspired preserved and the completed word of God. And so the prophet simply carries that authority from the word of God. Hey, this is what we should do because that's what God said. Uh, this is not my idea. This is what God said. This is what we should do. This is how we're going to do it because this is what God said. So we have authority for the prophet, which brings us then next to the audience of the prophet. So the prophet, obviously, needs to be speaking to somebody, right? Speaking out into thin air, but to speak with somebody. Who is that audience? 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse number 22 says, Wherefore tongues are for a sign, 
not to them that believe, but them to them that believe not. But prophesying serveth not for them that believe not, but for them which believe. So this really makes it quite clear in terms of the spiritual gifts that were given in Romans chapter 12 deal with the gifts that are used in order to edify the church. So these gifts in the context that we're looking at, the context that was given was, let's think about this gift within the church. Within the church means among the body of believers that are members of Bible Baptist Church. So the body of believers are those that are saved. They understand that they are sinners, that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, that there are consequences that are coming because we have broken the law of God. But God commendeth his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The Bible concludes in Romans chapter 10, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you are saved then, the next step will be to be baptized. That would add you into the membership of the church. So we're dealing with this body of believers that are here together. And the gift of prophecy is dealing with that body. And I want to make that clear because the gift of prophecy is not to be confused with soul right? Everybody should be a soul winner. Amen? All right? This is, soul winning is not a gift. Oh, that guy's got the gift of soul winning, but I don't. We don't have the gift of soul winning, but they, that's not what the Bible, every one of us should go and preach the gospel to somebody. That is a command, that is a mandate, and so every one of us can simply declare the message of the word of God to anybody that is around us. You see in Acts chapter number 8, as Saul, who later became the Apostle Paul, was bringing persecution upon the church. In verse 1, the Bible says, And Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So persecution is coming upon the church, and everybody is scattering because they're running for their lives except the apostles. The apostles are not moving. The apostles are staying there in Jerusalem. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. Verse number four says, therefore, they that were scattered abroad. Who are the people that were scattered abroad? We might call them lay members. Just your average, ordinary member of the church there at Jerusalem, believers that were saved and baptized and added to the church, they that were scattered abroad, when preaching the word, you know what they were telling people? Be saved, and you need to be saved. And this is what the Bible says, and this is Jesus Christ. He was crucified, but he rose again by the power of God. That was proof that he is so they went everywhere. So soul winning is not a gift. That's what every believer should do. But in terms of this gift of prophecy, the, the, the goal is uh, within the church, we're thinking about how can we make this declaration of the word of God here in the church. Lastly, I want to deal with the aim 
of the prophet. So what is the end goal of the prophet? So he's going to give the word of God, but what is he trying to accomplish by doing that? He's trying to accomplish one thing. He's trying to accomplish the edification of the church. He's trying to build up the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse number 3 says, But he that prophesieth speaketh unto men to what? Edification. Now, there's exhortation and comfort as well. There's the gift of exhortation, and there's a place also for comfort, but you see this emphasis on edification in particular with prophecy. The end goal of the prophet. The prophet takes the word of God and wants to declare the word of God in order to build up the believer. So that's what edification means. Edification means to build up. Practically speaking, we might think of this as being strengthened. The prophet wants to see the believer to be strengthened by the preaching of the word of God. The prophet wants to see the church to be strengthened by the preaching of the word of God. And the edified believer is a strong one. He will stand on the word of God and will not move no matter what is going on around him. So let's, let's take an example of something here in Romans chapter 14, verse number 19. I think the verses will be on the screen. It's a little bit of a lengthier passage than I normally read, but let's read through this and, and uh, see what, what does an edified believer look like. Verse number 19, Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify another. For meat destroy not the work of God, all things indeed are pure, but it is evil for that man who eateth with offense. It is good neither to eat flesh, nor to drink wine, nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth, or is offended, or is made weak. Hast thou faith? Have it to thyself before God. Happy is he that condemneth not himself in that thing which he alloweth. And he that doubteth is damned or condemned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let, us, let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification." Now, so what's the situation here? The situation here is this, where you have the early believers, there are believers that are Jewish, and there are believers that are Gentile. And uh, we don't know the exact makeup of the church that he's addressing here in Rome, but let's, let's presume that there are both that are there, Jewish believers and Gentile believers. And they were both facing this issue of eating meat. So obviously the Jewish believer, they have the Old Testament law. The Old Testament law saying you can eat these things and you cannot eat these things. And there was a list given in the Old Testament law. Uh, but then they are part of a church with Gentile believers that don't follow these rules. They don't follow those rules. They eat pork. But the Jewish believers would not. 
I wonder what they did when they had their potlucks together. The Jewish believers only bring the kosher things and the, those things, and the Gentile believers are bringing, oh, this is so good, you got to have some. Oh, I, I, can I eat that? I don't know. You know. And so they're wondering, like, should I eat it? Should I not eat it? I, I don't know. I mean, they're believers, but I'm, I'm a believer too. But you can imagine, like, okay, what should I do? Now, the Gentile believers, and I'm sure alongside of uh, maybe some Jewish believers as well, would run into a different situation where, a common custom of the day would be that uh, meat would be taken and offered to idols. So this was a pagan land. There are Roman gods, Greek gods, you know, I'm sure false gods in every city, every town, every, every part of the country there, a part of the empire there. And so, you know, they, they would take the meat, they would offer it to the idols, asking these false gods for blessings upon it and upon their business and upon these things, and then they would go sell it. And so these Gentile believers are wondering, okay, can I buy that and eat that? If I buy it and eat it, am I partaking of this sacrifice, of this altar, or this, you know, offering, or, you know, asking for the blessing? I mean, you know, what, what exactly should I do here? And you can imagine that there is a little bit of confusion among people, or wondering what exactly is the right thing to do. And one believer might think, you know what, even if, the, even if they're eating the meat, I don't think that that's right. I, 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 I think that shouldn't do it. But then as they walk through the marketplace, they see, uh, you know, uh, one of the respected leaders in the church, and he goes over and he buys one of those pieces of meat and takes it home. And, and now he's wondering, hey, you know what? Uh, he's, maybe it's okay to eat it. His conscience tells him no, but looking at the other believer, he thinks, well, he's doing it. Maybe, maybe it's not that bad. I, if he could do it, I could do it. And so instead of following what is within him, his personal beliefs, he's giving in to what somebody else is doing. The example there that is given is to help us to understand the difference between a weak and a strong brother or sister in Christ. A strong brother in Christ will say, I'm looking at the word of God. If I find a conclusion on this is what the Bible says, that's where I'm going to stand, no matter what anybody else does. But a weaker brother or sister in Christ will look around and see what is everybody else doing? What, what is he doing? What are you doing? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? How are you doing this? What's, what, what is your thought? And then they're going to just kind of go with somebody else. And so the idea of the prophet is to say, hey, let us simply go to where we ought to be, which is in obedience to the word of God. Amen? That's what the prophet does. The prophet says, this is what the Bible says. Let's do what the Bible says. And to strengthen the brethren in that way. To declare, this is the word of God. You don't have to have any questions about it. This is clear. Let's do that. And so the idea is to build up the brethren. If there is something missing in their life, to declare the word of God to help them to build that area into their life. Also to strengthen the areas that might be weakened. Those areas that maybe they were fervent in their ministry and serving the Lord and now they're kind of fading away. Uh, they used to really love the Lord and read their Bible and pray every day, but now they're, you know, they're, they're busy with some other things. And, and the prophet will come in and to continue to declare the word of God in order that they might be strengthened. So just to give a simple example, let's take soul winning. 
a prophet might come within the church and say, hey, the Bible says in Matthew chapter 28 that we should go ye therefore and teach all nations. We got to go tell somebody. We got we to gotta give the gospel. That's the mission that was given to our church. I know there's so many other things that are going on out there and there's a lot of things that we could be preoccupied with, but the Bible says this is our mission. Let's go reach somebody with the gospel. Hey, aren't you glad that somebody gave you the gospel, that somebody took time to share the gospel with you, to go out of their way, to risk, you know, ridicule or persecution and, and share the word of God, to invite you to the church? Aren't you glad for that person? Well, let's be that person for somebody else so that somebody else might say, I'm thankful that God led brother so-and-so to me so that I might be saved. And let's get out there and let's preach the word of God. Let's think about somebody that we could share the gospel with today or share the gospel with this week the prophet says hey let's take this area of soul winning this is something that everybody should do let's go out and do it and then he also might regard strengthening the brethren and saying hey you know what uh you know uh, uh, brother you know you used to go out soul winning a lot and you used to really care about souls and you really used to pray over uh, these people that you knew your friends and family and uh, they were lost and you were really compassionate about that but i, I don't you about that anymore hey why don't we go over there and let's go share the gospel with somebody hey let's get back to it. is there something wrong with your spirit i want to encourage you and i want to help you in that area hey let's go labor in the harvest field let's go pray for more laborers and to strengthen that area that maybe had been weakened over time and the world is going to try to chip away at the building of the church and the building of individual believers but the prophet comes in and he declares the word of god so that we might be built up again in those areas, whatever area it might be. And you can see how that's an essential part of the church. Some people in the church have this gift, the gift of prophecy. Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 29, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearer. So we have the gift of prophecy. Secondly, we have the gift of what I'll call doctrinal teaching, doctrinal teaching. So the word doctrine really just means teaching. It's the same word, uh, but we have the gift of teaching. So let's consider the subject of the teacher. When we were all in school, we went to algebra class and you had an algebra teacher. Your teacher taught the subject of algebra, or you had a biology teacher, you had a history teacher, you had, you know, all sorts of different teachers and all sorts of different subjects. And so, uh, you know, the teacher would have a subject. Here in the church, the teacher also has a subject. And what do you think the subject is? Of course, it is the Bible. The teacher or the, the believer with the gift of teaching teaches the word of God. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. That word doctrine means teaching. So the subject matter of the spiritual teacher is the Bible. So that's the goal and that's, uh, or that's the subject of the teacher. Now, many people are great communicators. They're able to really connect with the audience in many ways and spiritual teachers need to be good communicators but spiritual teachers are more than just good communicators they are teachers who instill in their students the word of god because if we are not teaching the right subject we are not being good 
teachers. Matthew chapter 15, verse number 9. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. You know what the Pharisees and the religious leaders in the day of, uh, of Jesus were doing? They were teaching the commandments of men, not the word of God. And that was the problem. Acts chapter number 17, verse number 11. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. So this would be the opposite side, but equally important. I hope that everybody for Timothy chapter 4. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. So even believers can be led away from the plain and obvious and clear teaching of the word of God because what? Somebody gave to them the doctrine of devils and they thought, wow, that sounds really good or I really like this person or that really makes sense. And they begin to fall away from the faith because they are following false teaching. And the Bible says that we need to stick to the Bible. Titus chapter one, holding fast the faithful word as, as he hath been taught, that he may be able to, uh, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. So the teacher gives the word of God, but that naturally then leads to the question, what's the difference between the prophet and the teacher? If the prophet is declaring the word of God and the teacher is teaching the word of God, isn't that kind of the same thing? What's the difference here? Well, the word that we're going to use to distinguish the two is the establishment of the teacher. One of the things that it seems that I felt studying, you know, the, the word of prophecy and being used particularly in the New Testament is it often seems to be addressed to more immature believers. An immature believer just needs to be told, this is what the Bible says, let's do it right? You think about your kids. Sometimes all your kids need to know, and sometimes all your kids will understand is, this is what you should do, so go and do it, right? Sometimes they'll ask why, and you'll explain it, and it will make no sense to them, and so you understand, okay, my child, uh, there's a reason why, but all you need to know is, this is what you should do, now go and do it, all right? You know, if you give them, you know, healthy foods, they'll ask, oh, I just want sugar and candy and cookies for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And say, oh, that's not nutritious for you. They don't know what that means, <laughs> but they need to know that, oh, this is the kind of food that you should eat. And that's kind of the idea of the, the prophet, of making it clear, this is what the Bible says, this is what we should do. The teacher, though, needs to dig a little deeper. The more mature believer knows what he should do, but also wants to know, all right, how does this all work together? All right, what's the deeper reasoning? I know what the Bible says, and I'm not questioning it, and I want to do what the Bible says, but I want to know the heart of God. I want to know why he said that, and I want to see how this works together with something else. And you begin to dig a little bit deeper, and you see that the teacher is a good complement to the prophet. Colossians chapter 2 gives this picture, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as he, as he have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. So you notice the word there, rooted, and also the word established. So the idea is the roots and the foundation are what the teaching and doctrine does 
for the believer. So the idea, of course, is what do prophets do? They edify. What is edifying? They build up. What do teachers do? They root down and they build the foundation. So just like a building, the higher up you want to go, the deeper down you need to dig. The deeper the foundation, the stronger the foundation, the higher up it is that you could go. And so you need to have both. You need to have somebody who builds up and also somebody who will dig down deep. And so these two complement each other well. You have the prophet who declares the word of God and then the teacher that teaches the word of God. But I want to make it very clear, teaching is not just getting up and explaining the word of God. That's a big part of it. But I want to show you in Titus chapter 2, verse number 1, what is expected of the teacher. Titus chapter 2, verse number 1. But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. So what he says to Titus, Titus is a pastor, and so he's telling him, give them sound, plain, clear obvious teaching. Stick with the basics. You know what the basics are? Things like love, things like faith, things like being strengthened by the word of God, things like soul winning, things like faithfulness, these sorts of things. And so speak the things which become sound doctrine. So major in the major things and minor in the minor things. All of the Bible is inspired, but we know that there are some major things. Salvation is a major thing. You can't skip the, over that. You can't leave that on the sideline. That's a major thing. And so major on these things. And he goes through a number of verses and he explains to the younger men and women and the aged men and the women. But then in verse number seven, he says this, talking again back to Titus, in all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works in doctrine. What does the word doctrine mean? It means in teaching, showing uncorruptness, gravity, and sincerity. You know what the gift of teaching does? He not only speaks and explains the word of God, he shows it. He demonstrates it. So a biblical teacher is not just one that opens the word of God and says, this is what the Bible says, as wonderful as that is, he not only uh, speaks it, he shows it. This is a great time for me to emphasize why you need a local church, not just some guy on the internet. There are some great people on the internet. I have to say that because I'm on the internet. <laughs> All right. There are many other preachers that are on the internet, and that's wonderful, and I listen to them, and I have podcasts, and, and people want to do their best to be able to share the word of God and teach people, and they, they teach on parenting, or they try to help pastors, or they you know, simply uh, broadcast their Sunday morning messages. You know, you have all of that, and that's great, and that's wonderful, but you need a teacher. And teaching is not just saying stuff, it's showing stuff. You need somebody in your life that will show it to you, that will walk alongside of you and say, this is what it's like to forgive. This is what it's like to deal with persecution. This is what it's like to love your wife. 
This is what it's like to be submissive. This is what it's like to raise up your children. This is what it's like to, to be faithful. This is what it's like to have love or forgiveness or grace or mercy or patience, long-suffering, meekness, temperance, all of these things. How can you see that in the life of somebody that you only see online for 30, 45 minutes a week? You can't see that. And so the biblical teacher though he might have some things to say and be helpful out in the world, the idea, of course, is that these gifts are for what? The church, your local church. And you need a teacher that not just speaks sound doctrine, but shows it to you and gives you a pattern of good doctrine. Verse number 10, not purloining, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn... What does the word adorn mean? It means to wear, like your clothes. That you may put on the doctrine of God, our Savior, in all things. So what's the idea? The idea of the biblical teacher is he takes the word of God, he shares the word of God, and he shows the word of God so that his student will learn the word of God and live the word of God. So that's the idea. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse number 10. But thou hast fully known my doctrine, but then the very next words are what? Manner of life. You know I didn't just say it, I did it. I didn't just talk the talk, I walked the walk. And that's very important. For the teacher to not just have somebody who says the right thing, as important as that is, I don't want to diminish that, because that's important, that you listen to people who say the right thing, but also that you surround yourself with good biblical teachers that will also show the right thing. And so that's the importance of Christian living, not just showing up on Sunday morning and listening to the preaching of the Word of God or even sticking around for the Life Connection class and, and sitting in the class. Those are all fundamentally important. But if you really want to go a little bit deeper, you've got to live alongside each other. And you've got to have regular times together. You have a meal together. You, you, you go out and do things together. Even uh, common hobbies. You watch, a, you watch a basketball game together. You watch a football game together. Uh, the Bible says in Acts chapter 2, verse 46, and they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. The idea was they met publicly together, but also privately in their homes. They spent time in public worship and also together just living their daily lives. So the teacher does not just live here in the auditorium. He lives in a way in the living room and in the, in the workplaces with their fellow believers, being able to show them different things. Now, how do we know, though, as a teacher, whether your students have passed the test, right? When you're a teacher, or if you've ever taught a class, you stand up there in front of the class, you teach the material, and you see that they're paying attention, and if you ask the question, you got it, they'll probably say, I got it. But how do you know? Well, what teachers do is they give the dreaded test. All right, I want to know if you know addition. I want to know if you remember, you know, history or if you know how to solve this chemistry equation or something. They give you tests. Now, in the church, how do you and I know whether or not we're doing a good job of teaching? Whether or not it's sticking? 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse number 2, I think, gives us the benchmark for success for the teacher. 
and the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. So what's the idea? Paul taught Timothy. Actually, Paul was taught by Christ. Christ taught Paul. Paul taught Timothy. Timothy is to teach men, faithful men. Those faithful men are to do what? Teach others also. So the success of the teacher is not just when they learn the word of God, but when our students are able to teach the word of God to somebody else. The goal of the teacher is to train up other teachers. That's the goal here at Bible Baptist Church. Not just that you would know the word of God, as basic and as fundamental as that is, but that you would also be able to teach the word of God to somebody else. And you have lots of opportunities. If you have kids in your home, that's a great opportunity for you to teach the word of God. Now, sometimes it's a challenge. Your kids ask you questions all the time. My kids are young. And they ask me questions all the time where I'm like, you know what? That's a great question. I have no idea. <laughs> and sometimes they even ask biblical questions. And I'm like, you know what? I know the answer, but I don't remember exactly where it is in the Bible. I got to go look that up. I have to go look it up. And it's a great challenge for us as parents. You have an opportunity in your home. You might have an opportunity there in your class. I know that in the classes, uh, you know, the teachers do often do a great job of, you know, just kind of throwing it out there. Hey, does anybody have anything to say? Anybody have anything where they'd like to share something from the Bible? And, and uh, you know, what does the Bible say? And you'll have an opportunity to say, ah, you know what? I remember the Bible says here in this verse, or maybe you don't even remember where, but I know in the Bible it says this. And, and the idea is that the church would teach so that teachers will be able to train up and raise other teachers. So that's the goal. That's the end product that we are hoping for. And that's the end uh, aim of the teacher. So uh, the prophet declares the word of God and builds things up. Hey, you're missing this in your life. You should do this. Hey, add this into your life. Hey, let, don't forget about this. Hey, remember do that. So you have the prophet over here. The teacher then begins to really go in and expound the word of God. And now that foundation is going deeper and they're able to help others build that foundation so the prophet can continue to build. So you see how they're complements very well. Thirdly and lastly, this is not a specific gift, but just the idea, the gift of different roles. We're glad here that God gave different roles to different people because we complement each other well. If we want to kind of simplify things ways. The gift of prophecy, at least the way I think of it, is the gift of prophecy deals with what we believe. What does the Bible say? And I like to think of the gift of teaching dealing with why we believe it. Now, it's important that you believe the right things. It's doubly important that you understand why you believe those things. It, it, the, I hope that the answer is not, the reason why I believe this is because Brother Richard said so. Now, hopefully I'm saying the truth, but hopefully your answer is not, well, he said so. Hopefully the reason is because God said so, and I can show you where, and I can show you why. That's how you know, you know what, if Brother Richard strays away, or that brother or sister in Christ that you really loved, and, and they passed away, and uh, now you're left wondering, oh, what do I do in this situation? You know the foundation of the word of God is going to be there. 
It's going to be there in every generation. I'm going to stick with the Word of God. I'm going to learn the Word of God. And then I want to teach the Word of God so that others might be able to teach others as well. So the gift of prophecy helps people to find their place where they ought to be. And the gift of teaching often helps people to be filled with power for us to know what is right, but also to know why it is right. And you need both of these things. So the basics, of course, might deal more with prophecy of like, this is simply what the Bible says, let's do that. But then the teacher helps and complements that and goes a little bit deeper and says, that's, uh, that's exactly what we believe. And let me pair this with another verse that might help strengthen your faith. Dig that foundation a little bit deeper because every one of us can be strengthened some way. All right, our foundation can be stronger, our edification can be bigger, and God has given to us as believers prophets and teachers. Now, we're not able to cover all the gifts today, but I do want you, beginning today and through the next, uh, really about month or so, to consider, okay, what is the gift that the Spirit of God has given to me? Not everybody here is going to be a prophet or a teacher. There are some other gifts that are here. But I want you to think, am I a prophet? Is that, is that what God has given to me? Am I a teacher? And if you are a prophet or teacher, then use the gift. Be faithful in your gift. Know that somebody is relying upon you to declare the word of God to them and say, hey, let's just do what the Bible says. And somebody else might need you to help explain. This is the deeper part of the scriptures. Let me show you how this works together. And that'll, that'll help to deepen the faith of somebody else. Whether you're on the receiving end of preaching or teaching or on the giving end of preaching and teaching, of course, we can be thankful for the gifts that God has given to the church.